When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. A man named Kyler Yust has recently been convicted for taking the lives of two women, Kara Kopetsky and Jessica Runyons in Belton, Missouri. The case would span across three decades before finally reaching a resolution when Kyler was sentenced earlier this year. In both cases, Kyler's motive and intentions were very clear. He made his point plain and simple. If I can't have her, no one can. Though, how did all this begin? And what was really going through the mind of Kyler when he decided to claim the lives of these two women? By all means, nothing is as it seems in this case, as you'll soon see. Before long, Kyler would find himself tangled up in two separate unsolved disappearances that would remain that way for many years to come. Kara Kopetsky was leaving her job at a Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen restaurant in Belton, Missouri on the evening of April 28, 2007. She'd been working at the restaurant for quite a while, but on this particular evening, she was about to face a strange twist that she could have never seen coming. As she was closing out her shift, clocking out and heading to her car, she was approached by a man named Kyler Yast. Kyler walked up to Kara and asked if she wanted to hang out. Kara, seemingly shocked by Kyler approaching her so suddenly, turned him down and continued on her way to her car. However, it was at this moment that Kyler grabbed hold of Kara and forced her into his car. This would mark the beginning of her bizarre and unsolved disappearance. For most people, this may have seemed like a chance encounter with a stranger. However, Kara would soon tell police that her relationship with Kyler goes back many years and that the two had known each other since they were very young. Details about their earlier years are difficult to come by since they both should have obviously been minors at the time. However, it seems like the two had gone to school together since they were very young, and it seems reasonable to suggest that they'd likely come across each other several times during their years in middle school and high school. Though, they decided to take the relationship to the next level, about 10 months prior to this fateful evening at Popeye's. As police would soon learn, Kara had been dating Kyler for a total of nine months before she decided to break things off. She told her friends and family that Kyler had been aggressive towards her, but she wasn't too specific on how this unfolded. It's possible that he could have been verbally demeaning toward her or even become physical with her. We may never truly know the details of how this went down, and today this aspect of the case remains unsolved. Kara was so disturbed by Kyler's actions that she got police involved and managed to get a restraining order against him. This order would keep him from coming within several hundred feet of her, and legally speaking, should keep her safe. The restraining order kicked in almost immediately after Kyler's actions at Popeye's that evening. However, just a few days later on May 4th, 2007, Kara went missing. She'd been attending school that day and had a free period in the middle of the day in which she didn't have any classes scheduled. As I'm sure most of you know, when you have a free period like this, you can do pretty much anything you want within reason so long as you stay on the school's campus. 
though Kara vanished without a trace from campus and would never be seen again. After two days, one of Kara's friends, who remains unidentified, went to police to report that Kara had disappeared for more than 48 hours. The friend had tried to call her several times, but she would never answer, and hadn't been showing up for school. Police reached out to Kara's mother and stepfather, and learned that her parents had seen her earlier that morning, but she left the house and no one had seen or heard from her since, making her suspicious case all the more concerning. By May 5th, her family and friends had still not heard from her, but everyone was holding out hope that she would turn up sooner or later. Though on May 9th, when she was due to pick up her check from Popeyes, she still had not been heard from, and her check was never collected. It doesn't seem like police made much progress in the case by this time either. But by June 1st, nearly a month after she had disappeared, officers decided to search her school locker. Inside, they didn't find much to mention, aside from her debit card, that is. They would soon learn that her bank account had not been accessed since the days before she went missing. This, for all the obvious reasons, made the strange circumstances surrounding her disappearance even more disturbing. Court documents explained that police had been in contact with Kyler Yust on May 6th. They learned that the two were dating, but had broken up a few days before her disappearance. Officers spoke with Kyler at around 10pm on May 6th to ask if he knew anything about her disappearance but he reportedly told officers that he had not spoken to her since the 3rd, one day before she went missing. However, police would quickly find out that this wasn't true. According to phone records, Kara had called Kyler at 9.13am on the day that she went missing. He didn't answer the call, but did call her back at 9.20, but this call went unanswered as well. Even though police explained to Kyler that his statements didn't match the evidence they had collected, he maintained his story and insisted that he had not spoken with Kara since May 3rd when she was leaving for her job. He would continue to give conflicting reports in the days following her disappearance. And by July 23rd, police spoke with him again and he admitted that the two had been arguing when they last spoke after Kyler had learned that she had planned to hang out with a friend who was coming into town for a few days. It would be 2015 before police would reach out to Kyler again. By this point, he was being held in a federal prison for separate charges that are unrelated to this case. He now refused to speak with officers about Kara's disappearance, and would not clear up any of the conflicting information he'd given to them all those years before. Though, in contrast to this, he did admit that he had kidnapped Kara on the night of April 28th, the evening that set this whole case into motion when he approached her outside of the Popeye's restaurant. He explained that he confronted her that evening, after he learned that she'd been talking to other men immediately following their breakup. It was at this point that the case began to lose steam, and it would take officers several years for the case to begin rolling forward once more. A witness phoned police and explained at some point later in 2007 that he was supposed to be hanging out with Kara, but she wouldn't answer her phone. He then called her home phone and learned from her parents that she had gone missing. Later on, police would speak with a friend of Kyler, who explained that he'd received a call from Kyler with him crying incessantly on the other end of the line. The friend knew that Kyler and Kara had been hanging out on the day that she disappeared, even though she had a restraining order against him. The friend explained that in the call he received from Kyler, Kyler begged him to never tell anyone that the two were hanging out that day. This witness told officers that he tried to call Kara several times after this, but she never answered her phone. By 2010, the case had really begun to pick up. 
Another witness called police and explained that he'd been friends with Kyler several years before, and had even played with him in a band. The witness said that he had spoken with Kyler back in 2007, when he'd begun to make odd remarks about how no one should ever fall in love with a woman, detailing his failed relationship with Kara, and how she refused to love him back. Kyler also told the friend that he had snapped and something bad had happened to Kara, but he wouldn't explain specifically what had taken place. The following year, yet another witness called police. This witness told officers that she'd been a former girlfriend of Kyler and told officers that he had confessed to killing Kara multiple times in 2011. The girlfriend said that he had openly told her what had happened, explaining that he dumped Kara's remains in the woods after claiming her life with his bare hands. The witness called police once again a few weeks later and said that yet again, Kyler had openly admitted to the crime. This time, she said that he used this story as a threat against her, saying that he had claimed the lives of girlfriends in the past and that he wouldn't be afraid to do the same thing to her if she got out of line. Yet another friend would call police later on in 2012, once again explaining that Kyler had openly talked about the crime he had committed, again admitting to dumping Kara's body in the woods. It was at this point that another young woman came into the picture, a 21-year-old named Jessica Runyons. In September of 2016, police would be contacted by the mother of Jessica, who explained that her daughter had gone to a house party on September 8th and had failed to meet her at a doctor's appointment the following day. Police investigated several people who had attended the party and learned that Kyler had been there that evening. According to several witnesses, Kyler was acting extremely aggressively towards the other partygoers and said that he'd been acting very possessive of Jessica. The two would leave the party together at around 11 p.m. that evening, and Jessica would never be seen again. To make matters worse, Jessica's car was found ablaze just two days later on September 10th. Police would soon hear from a witness who explained that Kyler had contacted him and asked for help. Kyler had admitted to setting Jessica's car on fire and told the friend that he had sustained burns to his hands and face during the crime. The friend showed up to take Kyler home and help treat his wounds, completely unaware of what had just taken place earlier that day. Once the two arrived at the friend's home, Kyler explained that he had been hanging out with Jessica when things went sour. He lost his temper and then took her life, once again with his bare hands. Just as he had done before, he also told the friend that he disposed of her body in the woods. Kyler would be arrested the following day on September 11th, 2016. By this point, he had only been out of federal prison for less than a year. When police arrested him, they confirmed that his hands and face were burned. He was only charged for his connection with the burning vehicle. However, the following year, the body of Jessica would be found in a wooded area in Cass County. Around this same time, a second body was found, later confirmed to have belonged to Kara. He was officially charged on October 5th, 2017. It wouldn't be until early 2020 that Kyler would finally face trial for his actions. In court, he pleaded not guilty. However, a jury found him guilty in both cases, and he'll most likely be spending the rest of his life in prison. But thankfully, at the end of it all, the families of both Kara and Jessica may finally at least get some sort of closure.
But that's the video for today, you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to hit that like button. If you loved it, maybe consider sharing, subscribing, or clicking that blue join button below to really show your support for the channel. But I've been Ty Knotts. You guys have been lovely, and I'll catch you in the next video.